Good morning, One Church. What's up? My name is Carlo. I get to serve as one of the teaching pastors here. I'm so glad that you are here with us today. Shout out to everyone in the video venue or online, wherever you're at around the world watching this message. Had a friend watching from Colorado Springs today. Some of you are on the beach right now watching from an iPad. And so because we're in a church environment, we'll say we love you and miss you. But when the cameras goes off, we're going to hate on you because we wish we were there with you. But either way, wherever you're at connecting to one church, we're glad that you're choosing to be with us today. We're kicking off this series on one of the histories greatest leaders, greatest characters, one of my absolute favorite people in all of the Bible, David. David was a warrior, a poet, a leader, a father, a husband. He was a lot of things, a shepherd. He was so many things as we read his story throughout the Bible. But more than all of that, he's known forever in the Old and New Testament as a man after God's own heart. And my prayer is that at the end of this series, it would be said of us, one church, men and women, that we would be people after God's own heart. So we're going to unpack what that means over the next several weeks as we dig into the life of David. I nerd out very, very hard when it comes to this character in the Bible. A couple years ago, I had the privilege to go to graduate school and finish up my doctoral degree uh, in, in leadership, and my doctoral research was on the life of David as a leader. I've written some articles that have been published on him. I even wrote a book on the life of David, one chapter in his life. So if you want to nerd out really uh, with me, you can come see me at the Next Steps table and get one of these books. You can't have one, but I'll hook you up with one. Uh, you can come purchase one. But either way, it's a, a great resource, really, if you want to dig into David as a leader and, and some of the mistakes and things he made that we can learn from. Even the small group that I get to serve here at One Church is called Warrior Wednesday. We meet every Wednesday at Get Some Coffee. And guess what we're studying? The life of David for like the next two years. That's all we're doing is going through the life of David using the Bible kind of as our guide. So I'm a David guy. I love David so much. I named one of my kids after David. Now, some of y'all might have some love for people, but you don't have that kind of love. Actually, that has nothing to do with why he's named David, but I like to say that it is so. Um, anyway, uh, my wife's up in, in, in the, the room up there with the media team. She's probably going to start telling me to quit lying here on the screen <laughs> and say, quit lying. You know, he's David because I named him David. Anyway, I love David. Can we say that? Love, love David. We're going to look at a lot of his uh, aspects of who he was. Today, we're going to look at David the Grunt. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 17. If you have no idea who David is uh, and you've never encountered the Bible, I would still bet money that if I said David and you would say Goliath, right? Even if you don't know anything about him, you would know about David and this giant. And so that's the story we're going to engage this morning. First Samuel 17, we'll get there in a few minutes. It'll be on the screen or the YouVersion app if you have that. Have you ever found yourself thrust into a situation that you did not think you were prepared to handle? A giant of a situation, big obstacle you have to overcome, and all of a sudden you're minding your business and boom, you're face-to-face with this really big challenge. Have you been there? In 2003, I was deployed to Iraq with the 101st Airborne Division. We were in northern Iraq in a city called Mosul, and I became friends with a lot of the chaplains who serviced that installation, and one of those chaplains was the assistant division chaplain, very big, high-up guy, he was a close friend of mine, and I would go to the service every Sunday that he led. I showed up as a volunteer. I served. I played drums. I did a, just everything I could to make that a great experience for our soldiers, even though I wasn't a chaplain. I wasn't a chaplain assistant. So we hung out. Well, a tragedy stroke one weekend, and two Black Hawk helicopters collided into each other 
over the city of Mosul, killing everyone aboard both of those helicopters. It was a big tragedy, terrible loss. It was the largest loss we'd seen as a division in one day, uh, and it was just a really, really bad time. And so the chaplain could not be a part of the Sunday morning service that Sunday because he was still caught up dealing with all of the, the, the stuff that chaplains do in those type of tragedies. So his number two was an army reservist who'd been called to active duty just to help backfill and to kind of serve in the unit. So he was the number two uh, army reservist. And one day, that this, this day we're in the chapel trying to figure out what's going to happen. The army reservist chaplain comes to me and says, hey, Carlo, I've got an idea. How about you preach and lead the service today? I had about 30 minutes before service started. And out of nowhere, this major in the United States Army came to a specialist in the United States Army and said, hey, how about you preach? For those of you who don't know rank and stuff like that, it's a very high-ranked and qualified person talked to a low-ranked and not qualified person and said, hey, do my job. That's essentially what happened. So he says, hey, how about you preach? And of course, okay, whatever you want me to do. So I went to a little corner and I started praying and looking through my notes and thinking about some things we talked about in our small group and what in the world am I going to talk about? And I kind of wrote out a little outline and, and I prayed some more and I was nervous and it just, it, I'd never preached a sermon in my life. I'd never written a sermon in my life. I'd done some small group Bible study, but I've never, ever been in that situation where now I have to give a full message to a crowd of officers and a crowd of people who are looking to me and hoping that I know what I'm talking about. Thank God I'd been intentional about studying the Bible. Uh, I'd been intentional about being in small groups while I was in Iraq. I figured, hey, I'm here in the desert. It sucks. I'm away from my family. I might as well make the most of my time. So I started taking Bible college classes through correspondence. Like I just went all in, Jesus freak. Let me get my mind off of the terror around me and just focus on something good. So I just made it a purpose to go to every church service I could. I went to as many Bible things as I could without getting in trouble. I even went to some that got me in trouble, but I was just that guy. Like I was the resident Jesus freak in my unit when I was deployed because I anything to keep from thinking about the tragedy and all the junk that we were in. And so all of that intentional stuff prepared me so that I, at least when it was time to preach this sermon for the first time, I half knew what I was going to talk about and what to do. So I go to the corner, write out my little outline. I pray. I don't know what I prayed, but I prayed some words, you know, and I get up there and I preach 15 minutes of passionate, heartfelt, hot garbage. It was terrible. Now, I've preached a lot of bad sermons. This is on my Mount Rushmore of the most god-awful, all over the place, what is this guy talking about messages. And maybe I'm being tough on myself. It was, after all, the first sermon that I'd ever preached ever. But I know it was garbage. But it was the Bible, so it was holy hot garbage. So it, was, it had to have some good, right? I, I used some scripture, and they invited me to keep coming back. So obviously, I didn't sacrifice any goats, so there was no heresy in there. Uh, but I did it. But my intentional just leaning into God changed the trajectory of my life. That sermon I preached in this chapel, you see in this picture on a Sunday morning, was the first sermon I've ever preached. And I don't think that I'm sitting here today getting to share with you this awesome story if I hadn't been intentional in the small things and the frustrating things of being in that desert, leading Bible studies that no one showed up to, and studying the Bible and memorizing Scripture. And if I hadn't been faithful in those small things, I don't know that I would be sitting here 
right now. Intentionality changed the trajectory of my life. And I believe it can change the trajectory of yours. Absolutely. Many of us, we want to see our marriages get healthy. We want to see our lives grow. We want to see our bodies get healthy. We want to serve our community. And we can't do any of those things on accident. Did you know that? You can't accidentally lose weight. I tried. You, you can't accidentally get out of debt. You can't accidentally have a healthy marriage. You can't accidentally be for Clarksville. It takes intention. You have to be intentional in what you're doing. You can't even accidentally follow Jesus. But you can be intentional. And guess what? It's our big idea today. An intentional life influences people. We're talking about David thousands of years later because he had an intentional life that influenced the world and it's still influencing us today. At OneChurch.tv, it's our desire for all of you, for all of us to grow in three very vital relationships. We wanna see you grow in your intimacy with God. We wanna see you grow in community with each other, with those inside the church. And we wanna see you grow in your influence with those outside of the church. Why be intentional? Why be a person of influence? Because we believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. Okay, I believe it and that other guy believes it, but we believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. We truly do. We believe Jesus is the answer, and we believe that because we represent Jesus, the local church gives people hope. And so we want to be influential because our lives could actually connect someone to the one who can really change their life and make things all new. Now, what does that have to do with David? David is thrust into this crazy situation, facing a giant. He's not a soldier. He's thrust into this situation out of nowhere. And as we're going to see as we dig through this story, it's not so much about how the end of the story goes. It's not so much about the fight. We're going to see how his intentional life all the way up to this fight sets him up for ultimate victory. So we'll be in 1 Samuel 17. Let me set the stage. If you don't know the story, the Israelite army is at war with the Philistine army. They're facing each other. They're in a big valley and they're basically squaring off. David, he's back home shepherding, being with stinky, smelly sheep. And this is where we find him enter the stage. Verse 17 says this. One day, Jesse said to David, this is his dad, Jesse. One day, Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report of how they're doing. David's brothers were with Saul in the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistine. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon, the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the armies of Israel. So David following his dad's order. He's bringing some snacks to his brothers in the war. And when David shows up, they're having this big posturing session. What would happen is they would send ambassadors across battle lines to basically decide, how is this going to play out? How are we going to fight? And sometimes it just made sense mathematically. Hey, instead of 40,000 of us dying, let's just send your best guy and our best guy and they'll fight each other. And then two guys could try to kill each other instead of all of us. And whoever wins, the army wins, the other surrenders, 
Do we have a deal? A lot of times that's how they would fight. And so the Philistines are trying to play that game. They're going to send their champion out. The problem is the Philistines were cheating because their champion was anywhere from six foot nine to nine foot nine, depending on the scholar that you're talking to. Have you ever seen someone that large in your life? How would you respond to someone who was six foot nine or nine foot nine and you see them there? Some of you would intentionally run away, right? That's the intentional life you would live. You would run. Carlo would intentionally never be there in the first place. Like, it's not like I can't see a six foot nine dude walking down the road. Like, I don't want anything to do with that, right? From this story, there's four things we learn from David that I think drive us to live intentional lives. The first is this. David had a why. David had a why, a purpose. Author Simon Sinek says in his book, you want to do anything great, you want to motivate anyone, you want to lead any good work, you have to start with why. Because people buy why you do more than what you're doing. Purpose drives everything. And so you start with your why. Your why is what sustains you when things get really bad. Your why is what motivates you to keep moving forward. Some of you, you've been at work having a bad day. Your boss is being crazy, getting on you. And you look at your desk and you see a picture of your kids. You see a picture of your spouse and you say, you know what? That's my why. That's why I can tolerate this place because this is my purpose. Some of you love to, to clutter up our Facebook feeds with pictures of your why, right? Little snot-nosed baby, this is my why. This is why I get up in the morning. You and your boo thing go on a date, right? And you got to tell us all how this is your why. And we don't want to hear all that craziness, by the way. But anyway, you, you, just, you can't wait to tell us about your why, right? You have a purpose, Maybe you've been hauling bricks on the job site, boss man's getting on your nerves, or you're working at Walmart and that customer wants to speak to the manager and you're the manager and so you're contemplating punching him in the throat, right? You had one of those kind of days? Don't act all Christian. I've had one of those days too, right? You want to chop him right in the neck. And then you remember family vacation's coming up. I need this job. We're going to get away. I'm going to get to spend some time with my family. And all of a sudden that quality family time becomes your why. It's your sense of purpose that sustains you beyond just external factors. External motivation is good, but we all need to be driven by something deeper than just what's on the outside. We want to be healthy to live long lives. We want to, be, we want to control our anger because we want to, it's good for our health. It's good for our reputation. The why. David had a why, and his why was the honor of God. David loved God. God had been there for David time and time again. And so David had a deep-seated loyalty to God. And so when he sees Goliath insulting God, David doesn't want anything to do with that. In verse 26, David says, who is this pagan Philistine that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Some translations say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Basically, young little David Here's Goliath talking trash, and it's something in him fires up. This sense of purpose comes up. It's not a knee-jerk reaction. A sense of purpose rises up in David, and he steps up with his fists up in that giant's faith, faith, almost saying, who do you think you're talking to? David wants nothing to do with this guy talking trash about God. He wants to confront him. The Bible says Goliath was mocking God and God's people. So it wasn't just that Goliath was smack-talking the army. He was smack-talking God, and David's why was to live for God and to glorify God. And the two were not jiving together, so David steps up to do something about it. A deep sense of purpose will help us all 
live an intentional life. Why be for Clarksville? Because I know how Jesus has changed my life and my intentional living can connect someone else up to Jesus and that'll change their life. And that's how we start. So David had a why, driven by a sense of purpose. David also had a who. David had a who. You might not know this in the story. At this point, David has already been made the king of Israel by God. Did you know that? At this point in the story, David has already been told by God and by a prophet, you are going to be the next king. So there was a king named Saul. Saul did not follow God wholeheartedly. Saul was kind of a dirtbag. So God tells this prophet named Samuel, we're going to take the kingdom away from Saul. We're going to give it to someone who's after my heart. So God tells Samuel, go to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem. One of Jesse's sons is going to be it. So all these guys come looking and Samuel sees one of Jesse's sons and is like, yeah, this has to be it. He looks like a king. And God tells Samuel, man judges by the outside, but I judge by the heart. He's not the one. And so all Jesse's sons come out and none of them fit the bill. None of them are king. And so Samuel says, well, I know God didn't make a mistake. Why? Where are all your sons? Is this all your sons? And Jesse says, oh yeah, there's David. Forgot about him. So he calls David from the fields, and as soon as David shows up, God tells Samuel, he's the one. So he takes this big old thing of oil, and he pours it on David's head. They call that anointing. And so basically, David was anointed the king of Israel, and then once Samuel went away, dad said, okay, boy, back to work, and David went back to the shepherd field, and that's where he was. But David, from that day forward, knew in his heart who he really was, and he knew more than that whose he really was. He knew that God called him and chose him, that God was on his side. And so David began to place his trust even more in God. He placed his trust in a who. It wasn't just that he had a sense of purpose. He knew who was ultimately in control. He knew who ultimately would fight his battles for him. And he knew who had his back. Our drive towards being intentional people has to have the same ingredient. We are going to be driven to honor Jesus because of who he is. We're going to represent Christ to the world because of who he is. We want to be for Clarksville because God was for Clarksville first. So our hope isn't in a strategy. Our hope is in a person and a who. And that's what leads us to make these intentional decisions. David had that. He had a sense of purpose and he had a deep connection to this God who had called him to be a leader all that time before. David also had a what? David also had a what? Verse 26 and 27. David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And the men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that is the reward for killing him. Now, the first two points, they sound really deep and spiritual, having a sense of purpose and being connected to God. But basically, what happens here is King Saul just gave a decree. He just gave a decree, and David's asking a follow-up question. Hey, say that again. Run that by me again. What does a man get for killing the Philistine? It's an honest question. Basically, David said, what's in it for me? None of y'all are stepping up. If I step up, What's in it for me? And in verse 25, King Saul actually says, whoever shuts this giant up, whoever kills this giant, they get to marry my daughter and they never have to pay taxes again. How many of you would sign up for that today, right? Wait a minute, I get to be part of the royal family and I don't have to pay taxes? 
sign me up, right? David, all of a sudden, it's like we read this story and we think about David with this pure altruistic motive. He's just showing up because he wants to honor God. And we overlook the fact that, yes, he did want to honor God, but he was very much getting something out of this. He wasn't just blindly going in and doing it with no return on his investment. He knew there would be something in him, in it for him. Let me tell you, being intentional about how you live your life, especially in following Jesus, it's okay to have an expectation that you're going to see a reward for what you're doing. I'm not saying that should be your first motive. That's selfish. That's greed, right? But it's okay to want to serve someone because you know serving people is actually going to be good for you. Did you know scientists have actually connected serving and giving with our happiness, with our pleasure sensors, the same parts of our brain that fire up when we eat chocolate, when we do a drug, they actually fire up when we give, when we're generous. It's actually addicting to be a generous person. Isn't that wild? No wonder Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. We actually receive something for it. So to want to get healthy because you want to have a good body for the summer, well, that's okay. But It's also okay to want to have a body that works so that you can live and you can love people and you can do more stuff. It's okay sometimes to want to have that. David sees that connection because he knows he's been called to be the king. And now, right before him, is an opportunity to enter into the service of the king. And he wants to know what's in it for me. So David had a what. It's okay to have a what. And then finally, David had a how. David had a how. We're going to read a lot of scripture here on this last hand, but hang with me. David had a how. How David killed the giant is 100% connected to David's intentional living before he even knew that there was a giant. Verse 32, David says, don't worry about this Philistine. David told Saul, I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're just a boy and he's been a man of war since his youth. Some of you know the things God wants you to do to make your family healthy, to make your body healthy, to make your mind healthy, to serve and live and love other people. You know the things God's stirring in your heart, but you keep hearing the voice of this giant tell you, who are you? You can't do it. You're not big enough. You don't have the tools. You're not good enough. You aren't enough. If there's anything we learned in our awesome series the last three weeks is that God is enough and God is in us. Therefore, there's nothing that we're ever going to deal with that we can't overcome with God on our side. Do you believe that? We listen sometimes to the lie of this giant telling us or the lie of even the king telling us with the best intentions, don't be ridiculous. You can't do it. But yet look what David does. Verse 34, David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I know some really tough people, really tough people. Yesterday, I got to spend two hours doing jujitsu with tough guys. A couple of them were professional mixed martial artists, a couple special operators, tough guys who know how to fight, who like to practice murder on their friends. These are hardcore dudes. But I'll tell you what, of all the tough guys I know, 
I don't know any take food out of a lion's mouth and beat a bear to death with their bare hands kind of tough guys. I don't know any tough guys like that. Sorry for you PETA-friendly people in here, all this animal violence. This is just the, the Bible time, right? But seriously, David beat the bear and the lion to death. And this is David the grunt. This is a shepherd boy. This isn't even David the warrior who we're going to talk about you know, later on in the series. This is just a shepherd showing you how tough he is. Let's keep reading. Verse 36. David says, I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it again to this pagan Philistine, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the Philistine. Did you catch the contrast in what David just said? David said, I have killed a lion and a bear with my bare hands, but the Lord who rescued me, he's going to do it again. David is instantly acknowledging that there's a God and I'm not that God. And anything that I can do, I'm only doing it in the strength of this God who's really doing the saving. It's not about how I fight. It's about this God fighting through me. So Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead and may the Lord be with you. Verse 38, then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet, coat of mail. David put it on, strapped it on over him, took a few steps to see if it would work out because he'd never worn anything like that before. I can't go in these, David protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. I think that how David defeats Goliath drove him more than anything else. David trusted in God's method of how God had delivered him time and time and time again. God had helped David defeat the lion and the bear while David was just faithfully serving God. Remember, David was anointed king, but then he was stuck, not quite who he was supposed to be, not where where he was. He was in the middle, and so David was just faithful in the middle with what God put before him. I think so many of us hold back from living the life God wants us to live, to serve other people, because we think we need something extra. We think we need more. Well, if I just had more books, if I just had the right words to say, if I just had more equipping, if you just gave me more resource, we think we need more stuff, and we forget that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. If I have God, what else do I need? And so David says, I know where I'm from, and where I'm from, we don't fight with armor and swords. David's like, no, I'm going to represent well and do what, always, what I always did. David basically said, I remember who brought me to the dance, and I'm not going to leave God. I'm going to fight the way that I know how to fight. Let's finish the story. Long passage here. David picks up five smooth stones from a stream put them into a shepherd's bag. Then armed only with the staff and the sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out towards David with the shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt for this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come to me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. And David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with the sword and the spear and the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Today, the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. I love the smack talk in this story. It makes me want to fight something. I'm going to flip a table right now. Like, man, that just makes me want to tear down a wall. That fires me up. 
Because this young little punk kid is standing up to a bully. He's standing up to someone that's wrong and saying, wait a minute, I know the God that's with me is bigger than what you represent. You're coming at me with a sword. I'm coming at you in the name above every single name. And I'm telling you, we're going to win. Powerful. Everyone assembled here will know that the Lord, verse 47, everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. It's all coming together. David's sense of purpose, his why, his who, trusting in God, the what, the rewards that are going to come his way, how he does it, knowing God's going to fight the battle. God's got my back. I just have to trust in him. It's all coming together in this climax in the story. Verse 48, as Goliath moved closer to attack, David ran out to meet him. So picture it in your mind, big Goliath lumbering out like he always did, and little David running full sprint headed for this giant. I like to think he's doing some nice little running back NFL juke moves, right, to keep him moving. He's swinging that sling, and then bam, he fires that sling. The stone sinks in. Goliath stumbles face down to the ground. Most scholars will say that that sling leaving, that rock leaving that sling is easily the equivalent of a small caliber pistol pistol shooting someone right in the head. I mean, it was a gunshot that hits this giant, he falls down. Verse 50, so David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. That means that David killed Goliath with what? A sling and a stone. Verse 51 is one of my favorite verses in this entire chapter. Before you judge me as being morbid, let's read it and talk about it. It says, then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. I love it. Before you think I need counseling, well, I do need counseling, but not for this. Um, I love this because what did David promise to the giant? I'm going to kill you and cut off your head and feed your men to the birds. And I don't know, something in me likes a man of his words, right? We like honest people, and David's a man of his words. I told you what I was going to do, and I did it. David is a bad man. You want to look for a hero, a tough guy in the Bible, this is the guy. By the way, later on, he's the guy who writes poetry, and he's the guy who weeps, and he's the guy who cries over his kids, and all the things we think tough guys shouldn't be. David was that stuff too. But man, this is an awesome story of how intentionality sets him up. Do you realize if David hadn't just faithfully been a shepherd, he would not have been equipped to fight this giant? It doesn't make sense to us. We think we got to go to school and be this warrior and do all this warrior training. And the whole time David's being a shepherd, God was training him to be a warrior all along. David just trusted in God, continued to worship him, continued to be intentional in his disciplines, and it sets him up for the great story that begins his trajectory as the future king of Israel. The location, the battle, the size of the giant, all of that stuff suggests that the odds are against David. For some of us living an intentional life, the odds are stacked up against us. Our families, our life situation, our money situation, our health, we have things against us that seem too big. So what do we do? Three things we can do to kind of land this plane. What do we do with what we've learned here from David? The first thing is this. Don't focus on your past. Focus on being faithful. David's father didn't think enough of him to include him. David's brothers couldn't stand him. He's just a shepherd kid. He's struggling and going through all of this stuff, but David doesn't focus on that. He just focuses on being a faithful shepherd. Right where he is, I'm just gonna do the best that I can do 
right where I am. I knew when I was like 15 years old that God called me to be a pastor. And then I spent years just being Carlo, doing stuff, living life, being in the army, just doing my thing. But it all set me up for God to put me right where I'm doing exactly what he's called me to do. So just one step, one small step towards Jesus daily is what we talk about being faithful. For some of you today, you need to take that first step and say yes to Jesus. You've been trying to live life on your own. You need to follow him. For others, just take that step. Second thing is don't, you've heard this one a million times. Don't focus on the giant. Focus on how big God is. If you focus on changing your jacked up marriage on your own power, you're never gonna try because that's a huge obstacle, right? But when you remember how big God is and everything he's done for you before and how he saved you before and the bigger messes that he's fixed, then we know God is bigger. To be for Clarksville, that's a huge goal. $300,000, man, that's a lot of money. And if we focus on the money, if we focus on the scope of the issue we're trying to tackle, we'll never do anything. But if we're constantly remembering that our God is bigger than anything we're trying to do, God can do it. God can start this church with a handful of people. There's nothing he can't do to reach lives. Some of you sitting in this room, that's your story. It doesn't make any sense on paper that you're sitting here, right? That's my story. And yet that's how big God is. So we don't focus on the giant. Focus on how big God is. And then remember, remember that the greater the obstacle we face, the greater the victory we're gonna have. It is very, very true. The bigger the thing we're trying to tackle, man, the bigger that celebration and the bigger that victory is. It's all God's providence that young, small David faces this big giant to show how God is gonna continue to use him. And David had all these voices telling him that he couldn't win, telling him that he wasn't enough. And we gotta be careful that we're listening to God's voice. We're remembering the things he's done in the past and all the great things he can do through us and that he's gonna do for us. Let's be intentional about living for God, step by step, day by day, on purpose, making sure that we're serving others, that we're growing in our closeness with him, we're growing in our closeness with each other, because we know an influential life, an intentional life influences people. Let's pray. God, thank you for your power. Thank you for your word. Thank you so much for just equipping us with everything we need for life and godliness. I pray for everyone in this room, God, that you would embolden them to be for this city, to help people, to love people. That starts with our daily walk with you, with choosing to read the Bible, with choosing to get into group life, with choosing to just worship you, God, with choosing to say yes to you. Help us to do it. If there's a person here who has not yet done that, God, they have not yet said, God, I wanna follow you. I pray this would be the moment. They say, Lord, I'm tired of blowing it and doing it on my own. Instead, I wanna trust in you and in you alone. And God, I know as they confess that sin and say, God, I'm so sorry for the ways that I've blown it. You do what only you can do. And God, you forgive and you save. Help every person in here to take a step day by day in following you. More than that, as a church collectively, help us to be intentional. This week and in the weeks to come, as summer is here, God, define ways that we can love our neighbors well, that we can be for people. It won't happen by accident, but in the daily rhythm of smiling, of saying hi, of shaking a hand, of being generous, of opening that door, of looking for the opportunity to serve. God, if we're intentional about that, we know it'll lead to great influence and more and more people will know you. So I thank you for calling us to you and giving us everything we need to make an impact in this city in your name. We love you in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.
Amen. Thank you so much for being here with us, One Church. Go by the Next Steps table if you have any questions, want to sign up for a group, or you want to take a step, come see us, and we'll have a conversation with you. Have a great rest of your Sunday. We love you. Go be the church.